Hello and welcome to this great Conversations interview. My name is John Paul Canwit, and I'm the Campus Writing Program Director here at the Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning at IU. My guest today is John Warner, who's affiliate faculty at the College of Charleston and the author of Why They Can't Write, Killing the Five-Paragraph Essay and Other Necessities, as well as the writer's practice, Building Confidence in Your Nonfiction Writing. Welcome. John Warner. It's really good, great to have you here today. Thanks, John Paul. It's good to be here. So I wanted to start off by asking you what you see as the, the biggest challenge in getting students to write well in higher education. So I think the biggest hurdle really is the experiences students have had prior to entering college where they've been subject to um, highly prescriptive practices as embodied in the five-paragraph essay. Um, around activities associated with standardized tests and standardized assessments. And for me, this has um, uh, disengaged students from the fundam fundamental act of writing as, as communication, um, as writing for audience and purpose. And so when they come into uh, higher ed, they've written for school, they've written for assessments, but when we want them to have a sort of richer, deeper, more nuanced understanding of writing, it really is, is a, a largely foreign concept to many of them. Great. So, and what would you say is the role of college teachers in, in encouraging their students to write well? So I see it through this lens of the writer's practice, which uh, are the, the skills, attitudes, knowledge, and habits of mind of writers. So I want students to develop the kinds of um, behaviors that writers do in academic contexts, even in non-academic contexts, so that they can be flexible and adaptable to occasion. Um, we can't just introduce them to academic writing or an academic research paper and expect them to be able to do these things. We have to arm them with these tools and knowledge and abilities that allow them to adapt to the different demands of, of um, college and even beyond college. Right. So I often, in my job as the campus writing program director here, I consult with faculty from across the disciplines, and, and often they're not from English or in writing-related fields. So I often hear that it's, it's not their job, instructor's job, to teach students how to write. Um, how would you answer that? How can you help me answer that I, I, objection? I am, I am not unsympathetic. Um, teaching writing is a discipline in and of itself, and it's, it's um, a time-consuming and difficult thing. One of the things I, I try to um, break down in that case is um, they may not think it's their job to teach writing, but it is their job, and they do see it as their job, to help students learn how to think in the context of their discipline. So if you're teaching history, it's not just about the facts and figures and names and dates of history. We want students to be able to think like historians. and. In my view, writing is thinking. They are um, one and the same. They are inextricably intertwined. And so if we want students to learn to think and practice their thinking, writing is a great way of doing it. I think where faculty who, who will say things like this struggle, it's because they're focused on things like the mistakes students make in their sentences and that they feel like they have to correct them and, and, and help them gain improved knowledge of grammar or syntax or this sort of stuff. And um, 
I would like to tell them that is not your job. Your job is to help them think inside of your discipline. And you can assign, can and should assign writing that um, tackles that problem of thinking rather than believing, oh, I've got to teach them how to use commas or possessives or something like that. Right, and so this has come up, you and I have had conversations with faculty over the past 24 hours. We've had dinner, we've had some, some informal conversations uh, with O'Neill faculty and different people on campus. What would you recommend instructors do if they are really concerned with that, that correctness sort of thing? You know, that my students are making <coughs> errors with apostrophes. Right. What do I do about this? So, um, it, when I'm being uh, glib, I'll say get over it. <laughs> um, while recognizing that even in, in my own practice as a teacher of writing, it's taken me years to sort of let go of the notion that I should be correcting those things. And, and really, it's not that they shouldn't or can't correct those things, but I ask instructors to make sure that what they are spending their time doing when they're evaluating their students' writing is consistent with what they actually value about their discipline and what they want students experiencing. If they're spending a lot of time correcting sentences and fixing possessives and, and this sort of stuff, and they think it's a waste of their time, I, I would say, like, don't do it. If a student turns in something that is um, so riddled with error that it is unreadable and you can't get the message, simply tell them that and, and require a revision or a conference or something like that. Um, if what is important is the message and the content, then it's okay to overlook some of these errors. You can still circle them or say like, you know, make a little note. But regardless of what they decide to do, just make sure it is consistent with what they value, what they think is important about their discipline. If they can do that, my belief is if students become intrinsically interested in the subject, if they get involved in the, in the writing problem they're trying to solve, they'll have fewer errors because they'll be more invested in conveying their message in the best and, and most efficacious way. Um, so rather than trying to like beat those errors out of them before they allow them to think, let them start with the thinking and encourage them to improve that other stuff alongside the thinking. Right. So in, you talk in your books about classroom experiences that help students write well. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by writing experiences and maybe give us an example? Yeah, so uh, I don't assign essays anymore. I don't assign reports. I don't assign um, research papers. Everything um, I do in class is a writing experience or a writing-related experience or writing-related problem. And uh, they're all designed around a question that writing is meant to help answer. Um, they all have an authentic audience, they all have a specific purpose. Um, an easy example from the writer's practice that I use early in the semester uh, is a review. And the question of um, underneath the review is should I? An audience comes to you, they're curious about a movie or a restaurant or a coffee shop or an app or a pair of shoes and they'll say should I go see this movie? Should I go to this restaurant? And the student's job is to answer that question. So rather than giving them a template of here's how a review works, rather than giving them an outline, mm 
I ask them to answer that question. And this requires the student to work through the experience, to um, acquire examples of the thing they're trying to write, to analyze those examples and break them down to understand what I call the moves um, that reviewers might do. And then they have to write one. And um, as is always the case, there are varying levels of success. But now we have something we can talk about against their understanding of the genre of a review. And they can see how their work does or does not meet the needs of the audience as compared to published reviews. So that experience gets them thinking as writers do and solving problems as writers do. So that when we then move on to our next assignment, which may have an argument, I can point to the fact that, hey, the review is an argument already. You were, you were trying to persuade. Um, by designing around experiences rather than discrete assignments, I'm really trying to foster that transfer from, from one experience to the next experience. Right, right. That sounds very rewarding for students. It can be. It, once, once they start to put the, the pieces together for themselves, um, it becomes a sort of self-empowerment thing. It's like, oh, I can do this. I don't have to wait for a teacher to give me a template um, or, or explicit instructions. I can solve this for myself. And so these start right away in your yeah, course from, right from day one. Day one, okay. we are solving writing-related problems um, in the course. And everything is framed as a writing-related problem with a question, central question, that an audience needs answered. Right. What, what would you say is the best way to get instructors ready to provide these kinds of experiences? Because you and I have lot, you know, right. 20 years each of us teaching right. college, but what do we do with instructors who aren't as used to, to these kinds of experiences? Well, uh, start by reading Why They Can't Write, Killing the Five Paragraph Essay <laughs> in a minute. No. Um, it, it really, so, so both Why They Can't Write and the Writer's Practice talk about a process of examining and breaking down your writing assignments to try to get at the, the essence that is, what is most valuable about this? What is that you want students doing and experiencing and taking away from the experience when they write this thing? So often what I find when I work with, with um, people who are assigning writing is they will assign something like a research paper and like, oh, I want my students doing close critical analysis of sources and then synthesizing those into a piece of writing. And then we'll look at the process of the research paper and we'll see all these extraneous aspects of the assignment that don't actually get at that core, um, where uh, they're spending too much time doing like an annotated bibliography. They're spending too much time developing a topic. So it, it, in, in one specific case, I had an instructor uh, in a history course who realized he didn't want his students writing research papers, or he didn't want them writing individual research papers, he started having them all write the same research paper by mm -hmm. giving them the sources and talking about them collectively together so they could break them down and understand them. And um, it worked great for him. I mean, he, he had figured out how to like create a, a topic of interest that, that students could do. Um, there's a lot of ways to sort of skin this cat. There's no one one um, method. It's really, it's like, what is the essence of what you want your students doing? And then how do you create a writing experience that embodies those values? And, and it seems like part of this is to, to have instructors be willing to take some risks. 
you to have, try out some new things yeah. that, that may not work, right? You have to take risks. Um, there's a chapter in, in Why They Can't Write where uh, I talk about the problem of teaching folklore. That mm. is the things that have been handed down to us over the years as important or the sorts of assignments we're supposed to do. And one of the first steps is to question the folklore. The, the hard part is when you question the folklore and replace it with something else, that replacement may not be fully cooked. Um, it is very much an iterative process. And I encourage instructors after they've tried something new is to solicit that feedback from students. Uh, how did that go? You know, what, what did you struggle with? What was most valuable? And you can begin to change these assignments over time. The, the experiences in the writer's practice reflect um, many semesters of iterative process in terms of honing them and including additional iterations when I was writing the book itself where I would reflect on how it had gone the last time I'd done it and think, oh yeah, I'm going to change this for the book even though I haven't had a chance to teach it this way yet. And you you advocate too, I know, being upfront with students that, hey, th we're trying this out. I'm we're trying how something it works. new. Yeah. We're trying yeah. something new. Um, I share the objectives. I say, this is why I want us to do this. These are our goals for doing it. So that if it if it's off track, they can help me get it back on track. They have that agency and ownership over, over what we're doing. It's not just me, you know, erecting the hoop or setting the bar and saying jump through that or jump over that. It's here is the experience. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're doing it. I've designed this in order to help you do these things, but if we get off track, we'll figure it out. Right. So the, the subtitle to your your newest book, Why They Can't Write, is Killing the Five-Paragraph Format and Other Necessities. So why? Why, you know, this sort of hallowed form? Right. Why do we so want to get rid of that and other things like it? The, the five-paragraph essay is more symptom than disease. Um, the, the underlying problem, the other necessities are really a bigger deal than the five-paragraph essay. And that is um, the highly prescriptive teaching practices that are associated with um, standardized assessments uh, that have been an increasingly um, prevalent mode in K-12 education. Um, so where we have, and I talk about this in the book, kindergarten classes that are concerned with helping children become college and career ready. We are off track. We have um, deviated from the sorts of values that I think we should associate with with learning to write, particularly when you're in grade school. Um, when you're in grade school, writing should be purely fun. It should be interesting. Every assignment should be some intriguing example for a child to explore the world in their, their own understanding. And, and instead to sort of train them in this form from like third and fourth and fifth grade on um, creates a very cramped notion of writing. It creates um, a culture it facilitates a culture where students are increasingly anxious and depressed about performance on these standardized exams. And it requires them to write in ways that are simply divorced from how we write in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I, nobody sits us down and says, you have 45 minutes to produce an essay on demand and your, your proficiency as a writer is going to be judged on this. This is simply not how we work. So. The other necessities are about bringing our pedagogical practices in line with our values, what, what we know works um, and, and has worked in the past, 
and moving away from those things. So you talk in the book about um, leveraging the writing that students already do, so sort of bringing that, that, that writing outside the classroom into the classroom. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah, so you know, one of the things we expect students to learn how to do, uh, particularly in a first year writing class um, in college in general, is argue, is to write an argument. And students are natural arguers. They're arguing all the time. Um, and they're making cases for themselves all the time. So I like to bring in their native abilities and show them, you can do this. All we're going to do is, is translate what you are doing in your everyday lives to an academic context. Um, and I talk about you know, like differences in audiences. Um, I'll use a scenario like, um, they, they, a student wants to study abroad, their parents or guardians are reluctant to let them do so. And I ask them, well, what, what are their objections? And they'll say, things, oh, the cost, and they'll think that I'm not going to learn a lot, or I'm going to party, or these, and they, they list all of these things. And I ask them, well, how will you refute these? And they say, oh, well, I'll do this, this, and this. And they've done the exact sorts of moves we expect of academic writers, hmm. just in a life context. And then I'll translate it to, here's an argument about something else. What are the objections that people are going to have to this argument? They get it instantly. I, one of the things I like about that, too, is it, it fits with that larger education model of, of not, not having a deficit model, right? Not going from what students don't know mm -hmm. and what you're going to fill them up with um, you know, to, to really working with what they do know. And I know that people have talked about that even on the sentence level, that students, they know grammar, right? They might make mistakes. They might not know everything. They might not know what a noun and a verb are, but they, right. they have a natural sort of expertise with language. They can express themselves in written language. Right. Students have very little problem with this. And, and I think uh, some people watching this just are like, what? It's crazy. When students turn in writing in your course and it looks and sounds like nonsense. Mm -hmm. Word salad, <laughs> some people. Word salad, say, what right? I call pseudo-academic BS. They are trying to impress the instructor. They are trying to perform a kind of studentness and intelligence. And so if they're doing these things, it's not because they don't know how to write, it's because they're disconnected from the audience and the purpose and the message. And so if you can reset their expectations, if you can allow them, at least on occasion, to write as themselves and prove to you that they can write, you can help, help them translate to these other contexts where it's not just about using $10 words like plethora, mm -hmm. it's actually communicating an idea. It's no different than, than what they're doing in their everyday lives. But they can be and are intimidated by, the, by school and particularly by faculty who they are often highly impressed with and they perceive as experts and that they are trying to impress in turn mm -hmm. for the sake of the grades. So if we can share with them our own struggles with these things, our own challenges in crafting our, our writing, that brings students closer to an attitude that I think is productive. So you're uh, obviously a practicing writer yourself. Mm -hmm. You write, you know, why they can't write. You write a blog post. Do you bring actual examples of your own writing I, into class? I, I bring my own writing into class all the time, okay. and I, I talk about my own process. And I'll show them the difference between, like, the, the blogs I write for Inside Higher Ed, the difference between the draft versus the posted piece. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about not only issues of, of editing and polish, but thinking. 
That is, often I will have written myself into my opening paragraph at the end of the draft because I've processed the idea I was wrestling with, came to some interesting uh, notion that I'm like, oh, I actually want to lead with that. And so I show them the draft and I point out like that last thing I wrote became the first thing that an audience is going to read. It didn't come out of me as in the published version. It came out of me like this. And to allow students to see the process of thinking as well as the mistakes I make in a draft just like they do and that the difference between me and them is not my <clears throat> greater proficiency, um, but my willingness to work the problem for a longer period of time heading towards an objective. That's the, that's the difference between what they've been doing in school and what I'm doing there. So I try to give them opportunities to do that, to, to work an authentic problem for an authentic audience. And to have that, that time on task to that have we that, know is what works for yeah, students in, yeah. in any learning, whether it's writing or any other kind of mode. I'll, I'll, I'll give them time to write these, these down drafts to get the idea down in class so that I, I know they've done it. And then we will talk about it in class, like what is the nugget idea that you've just put on the page that you think you now need to go back and revise around to, to model and demonstrate that and get them doing it, to break them of the patterns and, that they've had in the past and be thinking more deeply about their own writing process. So speaking of patterns, so you talk in your book about assigning students unfamiliar writing as mm -hmm. assignments. So we've talked a little bit about leveraging what students already know mm -hmm. and what they can do, but you talk about and research suggests that these unfamiliar writing projects yeah. can be really powerful, which in some ways seems counterintuitive. They, they need, you, you have to have some kind of bridge to the unfamiliar, but to, to give them something that they haven't done before. Again, if it's embodied in an experience, if it has a purpose in an audience, and you can give them a process by which they can solve the problem, it can become hugely empowering. Um, I can give them what we would recognize in, in the end result is a highly sophisticated form, like a rhetorical analysis. Um, I don't tell them they're writing a rhetorical analysis. I simply say, you need to uh, take a text. Often I'll, I'll, I'll use, uh, there's two assignments in the book. One is a, a work of humor. I have another one where they look at a television commercial and they have to rhetorically analyze the rhetoric of the commercial. And They've never done this before, it's totally unfamiliar, but by the end of the process, they'll become skilled readers of subtext within a commercial. And it becomes this sense of empowerment. It's like, oh, I couldn't do that, and now I can. There's probably something else I don't know how to do, but I can figure out how to do it because I figured out how to do this as well. That's those elements of the writer's practice, the skills, knowledge, attitudes, habits of mind that are transferring from one task to another, even if the task itself is unfamiliar. Great. The, um, so we've been talking so far about what, what we teach students and methods for doing that. I think one of the big themes in, in your book, the most recent one, and the writer's practice is learning from students, um, which I think is great. Can you say a little bit more about how, how we can set it up so we do that? Yeah, I mean, one of the most exciting parts of the semester is where it's revealed to both myself and my students that they are experts in something that I am not. Um, this can be easier in a, in a writing course where it's not content heavy, but I think it can be done in any course where we allow students to 
follow a sense of their own interest, to go deep on something and to explore what they're interested in. Um, this past semester I taught a, a humor writing course where students brought in um, content that I, I had simply never been exposed to before, um, including one, one um, student who um, wrote about the humor of TikTok, and I had just barely been familiar with TikTok as a, as a medium. And she broke down all the stuff, and it was fascinating. I mean, I was really fascinated to hear her talk about um, how TikTok works to create sort of viral, humorous moments, something I'd never considered before. I learned a ton. Um, I will use her TikTok analysis myself in a future course, and I'll credit her and, and um, try to show students that they can do this. So allowing students to be human in that way and, and experience uh, um, value their their lives of experience, I think, can can go a long way. And for me, it's just fun. Like it's interesting. It makes the subject and the the class um, more enjoyable. If I don't think I have to carry the weight of every last bit of content that's brought into the class. Right. And what what about at the level of language? What can you learn from students? Just to, you know, we talked about <coughs> correctness, but right. seeing their writing not as a yeah. A deficit. So so. Um, I am pretty liberal when it comes to allowing them to express themselves in the vernacular that is most comfortable to them. It depends on occasion, it depends on purpose. Um, but in, in my classes, they're allowed to use um, slang and language and this sort of stuff. Like if, if um, one of my students wanted to joke about uh, people my age or older with like an okay boomer, like I, I, I'm not going to, you know, censor them for that sort of thing. I'm, I'm going to encourage them to use that that um, native vernacular because it's it's all it's what I do as well. Um, uh, the the and why they can't write. There's many passages that are written um, primarily for my own entertainment. Um, there's a Animal House reference in there that a huge portion of the audience I know don't get. People of a certain age who grew up watching Animal House will get it. Um, embedding these things in order to create a, a, a relationship with the writing and a kind of pleasure in, in the creating, um, rather than trying to police that stuff, I think goes a long way. So obviously we're, when we're writing, we're communicating with an audience, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's a diary entry or a mm -hmm. journal or something like that. But it, it sounds like what you're saying is you also want to give students some space to be able to do some personalized things yeah. that might not always connect with an audience. Yeah, and, and they can take a risk. Um, they can uh, swing for the fences and miss. I would, I would much rather... Um, a student take a big swing at a big idea or a difficult audience and fall short than play it safe. They're going to learn more in, in, in that than they, they would otherwise. And that big swing gives us a lot to talk about after the fact. Um, a, a significant part of my approach is this reflective practice and, and um, learning about learning, thinking about what they've done after they've done it. And so I want them taking the, the biggest possible risk um, while making sure it's safe for them to take that risk, that they're not going to crush their grade because they're, they're extending themselves beyond what they might be capable of. Um, but it's, it's always a balance. You know, if, if you let them take too big a swing, they, they, they may 
not only strike out but like fall to the ground, you have to be willing to uh, allow for that as a as a part of learning. So you're explicit about that. that they can <clears throat> yeah, take those risks. I talk I talk a lot about failure as our best teacher, particularly when it comes to writing, and not just failure as like I whiffed on that, but as a um, perpetual falling short of our own goals for ourselves. Um, my writing in my head is much better than it is when it hits the page. I, I, there is a translation problem between um, my brain and, and my fingers. Um, I want like everybody in the country, I want like uh, uh, Barack Obama recommending why they can't write on his list. Like I, I have those ambitions. Um, I don't think maybe the book ultimately is, uh, has that kind of impact, but by believing that it's possible when I'm doing it, I'm going to write better. And so I want students having that same spirit. Like, you have to, you have to be willing to risk falling short of a lofty goal. Um, it's like whatever Casey Kasem used to say, like, uh, keep your feet on the ground and reach for the stars, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, reach for the stars, why not? You and I have talked uh, over the past day a little bit about your own educational background mm -hmm. and how that's impacted your own writing and your own teaching. Can you say a little bit more about the kinds of teachers you had and the kinds of experiences that have influenced you? Yeah, I mean, my, uh, I write in the book about Mrs. Goldman, my third grade teacher, who turned me into a writer in an instantaneous moment when she asked us to write instructions for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then made us try to make the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches according to our own instructions and they were a total failure because we had left everything out, the, the amounts, use a knife to spread it on the, on the bread. I think even some kids didn't even say to spread the peanut butter on the bread, it just said like spread the peanut butter and she made them like take the peanut butter and spread it on their hands and it was good fun and it was, it was, it was sort of a joy. Um, and I, in that moment, I had this epiphany of like, oh, writing, is, it matters. It's for people. This, this, this has an impact on the world. And all through grade school, I had these teachers that allowed us to explore um, who we were and do these interesting assignments. I, I still have, I talk about this in the book as well, I have my fifth grade portfolio of writing where we did alternate histories we did uh, science fiction where we had to, the prompt was to um, make an invention and write about the world now that this invention exists. I mean, that sort of spirit of allowing kids to be who they are. Um, one of the things I know from talking to students when they, they come to college now is very few of them have had those sorts of experiences. Mm -hmm. When I ask them, Did, have you ever written anything you really enjoyed, and they have a hard time talking about that. Um, whereas I can sort of conjure many of these examples when I was young. Um, and I think that's a, it's a shame. And you'll have, you'll make your college students, or sorry, invite your college students to write the instructions for how to, to yeah, make the peanut butter the, and jelly it's sandwich. The, it's the first thing we do in class. Right. Um, I used to lecture for an entire class period about the writing process and thinking about your audience before you write. And then I started just having them write instructions for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then reading them back to them. I don't have them make them, but I read them and say, what went wrong? And they instantly get it. They get, a, oh, I didn't think about it. Most people write a vague description of themselves making a sandwich, not instructions for making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So in that exercise, I've, I've introduced them to 
how writers think, how writers anticipate audience needs, and we're off and running. And you don't, do you get pushback ever from that? Who's, you know, where students will say, I, I did this in third grade. They will say it sometimes, but what's, what's fascinating is whatever they didn't, they, they forgot what they learned in third grade. Like the third grade experience has been erased by what they've done since. Often because they've been writing five paragraph essays um, to uh, very limited prompts mm -hmm. since then. So um, it's fun, you know, um, students tend to enjoy it. I sometimes joke around that the audience member the audience was actually not a, a human, but like a space alien that came to Earth and needs to um, find sustenance. Um, they're friendly. If they can make a good sandwich, um, they won't destroy the Earth. If they can make a bad sandwich, they will. Um, unfortunately, they didn't give amounts, so the, the alien used the entire jar of peanut butter and their insect mandibles choked on it and they died <laughs> in the kitchen. So, um, you know, we, we I take writing very, very seriously, but um, writing, I also think writing is fun. Like, I'm not one of those writers that thinks about writing as, as torture. It's not that it's easy. Um, writing is difficult, but the um, act and byproduct of writing ultimately should be pleasurable. At least, I think so. I, I think that's a great test, too. If, it's, if it seems like an assignment that could be fun for you as mm -hmm. an instructor to read and, and for students to do, it's likely to produce better writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't need to just make students replicate academic forms. Mm -hmm. If we want them to think in scholarly and academic ways, we can find ways around that that are going to be pleasurable. Just because we find those, uh, although often when I'll talk to academics, like, well, do you like writing these when you have to for the work? And they'll be like, no, not really. But I have to, it's a professional obligation, so I have to. I'm like, well, why, why, why make students write something that's not pleasurable? If there's other ways to tackle the same kinds of thinking and the same engagement with content in a different form, um, if you could rethink it, why not? And it, it sounds like you, one of the dangers of kind of a hyper focus on getting students ready for careers, for example, not just academic careers, but any career, is that it could take the fun out of writing. Yeah, if, if, if you really are treating it like, oh, I have to teach them how to do a memo, and a proposal and a um, grant request or something like that, where you're like, I gotta introduce them to all the things they're gonna need to do in their future job. You've fallen into this trap of, as we've talked about, inoculation, that mm -hmm. you can inoculate them from the, the needs, um, the, the writing needs of the future. And the reality is they're always going to encounter some writing problem that they, you cannot inoculate them against. So if it really is just this kind of grim march, what I call the grim march through proficiencies, like do your memo, do your progress report, do your proposal, without also allowing them access to building the writing practices, that stuff's not gonna stick and it's not gonna transfer. So one of the things you talk about and why they can't write is the problem of technology hype. And we talk a lot in the Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning about how technology can help students um, what are the problems with technology and writing, and is there, are there useful ways that an instructor could use technology? There are definitely useful ways an instructor can use technology, but my <clears throat> recommendation in practice is always think about the technology is a tool hmm. 
meant to enhance and foster your pedagogical approach as opposed to here is a new technological tool, how do I put that to use in my class? Um, a, a lot of the, the technology hype are around things that I, I outright reject, things like algorithmic grading. I think those, um, as a teacher of writing, the, the key information I have about what my students are doing is their writing. So to outsource the grading of my students' writing to an algorithm makes no sense to me. And I don't think even in a non-writing sp specific course, in a, in a content course that has writing, how are you going to know how your students are thinking if you're not reading the byproduct of their thinking? Um, so that sort of technology I, sort of, I reject outright. But other technologies can, can work great. It's really a matter of, of and, and what I do, I, I, I'll go to our teaching and learning office at College of Charleston and say, I need something to help with annotation of um, digital documents. I don't like Microsoft Word, uh, the, the PDF readers don't do. I want to be able to do it as a group. What can we do? And they'll introduce me to some new app or new technology or a way to use Google Docs in this way that allows me to do it. So uh, I think we should, I do embrace technology. I'm not a technophobe, but the idea that, that tech is going to come in like a personalized learning program or app or something like this that's going to obviate the need for teachers or solve the problem of teaching, I think is, is um, an outright fantasy. I think, it's, I think it's impossible. Tech is a tool to be used, not a, not a solution to the problem of teaching. The problem of teaching is the problem of teaching, and it should be done by teachers. And we should be the ones doing the reading, yeah, right? we're, not, yeah, not we're, a computer. Yeah, not a computer. Why, why, why? Why would I do that? I mean, I understand why these things are embraced, because we have too many students and because we have um, not enough time. But I would much prefer to challenge those structural problems as opposed to give in to them mm -hmm. by adopting that kind of technology. And, and I think a related problem, you've talked a little bit in the past day about the problem of objectivity, mm -hmm. of not asking students to be objective. Can you say why, why, why is that yeah. a problem well, to ask them to be part objective? Part of the problem is students believe that they are supposed to be objective, and this is again wrapped up often with standardized assessments mm -hmm. that they've done in the past where there is a specific answer that somebody is looking for, and their job is to suss out that answer and, and present it. Um, but objectivity is not a value that I associate with learning, curiosity, thinking, um, academic study. Um, there is no objective mind. And from a, from a straight up practical standpoint, objective writing, if it exists, is not particularly interesting to read. Your favorite writers and most interesting writers and most compelling writers are not objective. They're um, convincing, they're persuasive, um, they're accurate, um, but they are embodying their own beliefs and values and attitudes in their writing. So why would I require students to shut themselves off from that? Except that students think that's what the job is. And often when you get that pseudo-academic BS, it's them trying to appear objective, capital O objective. So we're, we're sort of setting them up for an impossible yeah, well, task yeah, yeah, and, and not one anybody wants uh, to read They're anyway. pretending to be an, author an objective authority because they think that's what we value. 
And if that's not what we value, you simply just have to direct them elsewhere, and they will eagerly follow. Right. So John, is there anything else you think our audience should know about how to get students to write well, things to avoid? <laughs> the, 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 my biggest message is um, I, I come and do things like this, or podcasts, or talks, and I'm always wary of sounding like an expert who's coming here to pronounce how to do things. Um, I've got a lot of ideas and thoughts, and I think my ideas and thoughts are valuable for people who want to do these things, and I hope people seek them out. But it's a journey. It is a, it's a um, iterative process where you evolve your own practice over years. These two books are the products of 12 or 15 years of thinking about the teaching of writing, and that journey for me has not stopped. I continue to um, iterate in my own um, my own writing and my own practice of teaching writing. Um, it is a process. Um, it is a practice. We have a teaching practice. So if we can be forgiving of ourselves, <clears throat> particularly for our past sins, um, I sometimes think I owe an apology to all the students I taught when I was a TA, um, when I didn't know very much. But recognize that that's how it works. We learn things as we go. We're human. Um, our goal is just to get a little better each time, and I, I think that's, it's, it really is, you just start taking steps that are consistent with your values, that meet your students where they are, and you will see progress over time, and it, it will begin to feed on itself, but you'll probably never arrive at the final destination, and that's okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing a little bit of that journey that you've had with students. It was my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you.